on. I'm on Tonight on Ithaca Now. A Cornell fraternity faces pushback from the student body after a racist chant. So many people at, at this school have been angry for so long and we just ignored it. There's no ignoring it anymore. People spoke out about national issues at the Latina Heritage Month kickoff party at Lot 10. Well, I think for a lot of Latinas and Latinos, not just in our community, but nationally, the Obama, uh, the end of the Obama presidency and the beginning of Trump has been a huge wake-up call, and not in a good way. Environmentalists are fighting a salt mining company in Lansing. So if the Cayuga mine collapsed under Cayuga Lake, it would make the lake polluted. And that's where 30,000 people get their drinking water. And Ithaca College has started their year with a new president. How can there be a shift and an affirmation around the things that we're trying to do, that I'm trying to do, which is build community here? All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Will Carlson, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondent Christopher Morales spoke with students at Cornell University after a racially charged incident brought Ithaca in the middle of a national debate on immigration. But first, we'll turn to Kyle Arnold and Sarah Horbakowitz with this week's Community Beat. The man charged with the shooting on the Ithaca Commons this past spring pled guilty to some of the charges on Thursday. Of the four, 22-year-old Yaquez Cornet pled guilty to assault and weapons possession after allegedly shooting a man multiple times outside Silky Jones Bar in Ithaca. A tentative sentencing date has been set for October 22nd. As areas of the South continue to recover from Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, the Red Cross is working to send blood to those in need. The organization is holding a blood drive tomorrow and Tuesday at various locations, including the Ithaca Mall and Ithaca College's campus. More information can be found on the Red Cross's website. After almost three years of back and forth and two lawsuits, negotiations between Ithaca College and its contingent faculty union are wrapping up. Of the two lawsuits, one was dropped and the other was settled in the union's favor. The college was found at fault for taking professors involved in demonstrations last year off of the college's academic portal. Five new jurors have been selected for the retrial of Najee Green, who was accused of fatally stabbing Ithaca College student Anthony Nazaire. In November, Green pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder and other charges, but the jury was deadlocked. The retrial will continue selecting new jurors tomorrow. The massive Green Street development project is facing a roadblock. The Ithaca Planning and Economic Development Committee says it will not approve the retail and mixed housing project without including affordable housing options. The board says it will review an array of developers' plans and reconvene at the end of the month. We Are Ithaca, a multifaceted portrait project, began yesterday and is using photography to celebrate the diversity and complex identity of Ithaca. All are welcome to be photographed and are encouraged to dress in clothing that speaks to their identity, life, or history. This project will continue through November and will include more than 20 portrait sessions. For Kyle Arnold, I'm Sarah Bakowitz, WICB News. Cornell University has found itself stuck in the middle of one of the nation's most hotly contested political issues after members of the Zeta Psi fraternity chanted inflammatory remarks toward the school's Latino Living Center. WICB correspondent Christopher Morales gives us the student perspective. Throughout his campaign and his time in office, 
President Donald Trump has rallied supporters with strong and targeted messages towards different groups, including immigrants, labeling them as criminals, calling for mass deportations, and promising to build a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. This pattern in Trump's presidency culminated on September 5th when Jeff Sessions announced the end of the DACA program. DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, was introduced by President Obama through an executive order that allowed immigrants, often referred to as dreamers, who were brought as children to apply for temporary permits to work and study legally in the United States. Congress has six months to settle the fate of these dreamers, but local Ithaca supporters are calling for action sooner than later to help our dreamers. Although support can go a long way, so can the opposition. Shortly past midnight on September 6th, a chant was heard from the ZSI fraternity house. The chant was, let's build a wall around the LLC. The LLC is the Latino Living Center, and Arki Asmal, co-chair from La Asociación Latina, or LAL, was one of the first to hear what happened. And I was there, um, I was conversing with some other people from the community, and she comes in with this huge concern, and DACA just happened, we thought at least even those that were conservative would have some sensitivity, right? That sort of rhetoric being shared, like, right at that moment, like, we all just, immediately, we just, like, just kind of laughed it off a little bit, like, um, thinking it was a joke, but then, like, we saw, like, the seriousness in her face that this actually happened. The LAL reached out to Zedizai Fraternity, the Interfraternity Council at Cornell, and Cornell Administrators for Answers. So I'm emailed with the help of one of my other community uh, members, Zedasai, which is a fraternity that we heard this from, um, president directly, asking him if they did this, why they did this, is it okay for them to do this, you know, like we wanted a response. No one was responding. At first, Zedasai reported to Interfraternity Council advisors that nothing had happened. But at the same time, a member of Zedasai was texting a member of LLC, and said that Zedasai confessed to the chant while at an internal brother meeting. Once Zedasai heard that the word was out, they admitted to their actions and said they would release a formal apology. Arki and the LAL waited for an apology, but when nothing came, they knew they had to come out public with this. They told us that there was going to be an apology sent after that meeting within two hours. Now that meeting was held at around maybe five to six, so we were expecting an apology letter by like eight. Nine. They were not able to respond to us after a solid 24 hours. Like, the apology never came, and we started writing a statement at 9. When LAL posted their statement on Facebook, they finally received the apology from Sadasai. The fraternity said that only one member was taking responsibility for the chant, and Arky was not pleased. The apology was very problematic. The apology was trying to justify the fact that he was Hispanic, that apparently he had roots that were Latino, and therefore it was somewhat okay for him to say something like this. And he also reiterated that he didn't mean it like seriously, it was a joke. Towards Trump himself. This apology was not enough. Members and allies of the Latinx community appeared at a student assembly meeting the next day, September 7th. Cornell student Irving Torres was the first to speak to the student assembly. So, SA, I come to you as those who are elected to represent the student body. What are you going to do and what are you going to say? Student assembly representative Joseph Anderson was most appalled. So many people at, at this school have been angry for so long and we just ignored it. There's no ignoring it anymore. It's here, it's been at our doorstep for a while, and we've just been putting it off. Now is the time to finally act. I'm sick of it. After multiple representatives spoke, all voicing concerns and condemning the act, Cornell President Martha Pollack and Vice President for Student and Campus Life Ryan Lombardi arrived to the meeting. I took the mic and asked President Pollack a question. And I know that La Asociación Latina Executive Board, in their ending of their statement, left a specific list of demands that Black Students United also reinforce. But my direct question to you, President Pollack, 
and to the Cornell administration is, have you looked at these demands? Will you respond to them and how soon? The answer to your question is, uh, yes, I received the list. I heard about the episode very late last night. Um, I was at Cal all morning. I was in close contact with Vice President Lombardi as he was crafting his message and we were texting back and forth. Um, I don't have a response for you today. I need time. We're still gathering facts. We're still gathering information. We will respond, but I'm not prepared to respond today. But I wanted a more concrete answer, so I reached out to President Pollock again the following week. According to her media relations office, she declined to comment and referred back to Vice President Lombardi's previous statement. His statement was criticized by one student assembly representative because he defended the chant under the rights of open expression. This was similar to what Arkey and the LEL board heard behind closed doors where President Pollock said to them directly she will not respond to their demands. She had this meeting with us in our, our sort of like obviously event because she had already known by then because um, Lombardi had already released a statement and everyone, like, everyone kind of already knew what happened. Um, spilled over in that meeting um, for a couple of, couple of minutes. And the conclusion was, quote-unquote her words, I cannot take action against that rhetoric because it is not classified as hate speech. Um, according to the U.S. government, hate speech is considered when it's targeted at an individual. However, hate speech is not when that language is targeted at a group. Regardless of whether that's hate speech or not, that's still vulgar and hateful rhetoric. And that should not be allowed because that dehumanizes not only an individual, but a community. In the list of demands, LEL also called for ZSI to undergo greater emphasis on diversity training. ZSI members declined to comment for this story. While this may put a sudden rest to this particular incident, the LEL members and allies of the Latinx community know they will continue to fight these incidents of discrimination, to fight for dreamers, and continue to press the Cornell administration to take action against these acts, like a racist chant from a fraternity. If I don't feel safe in this community, I have to spend another four years here, and I don't feel safe. I chose Cornell for diversity and inclusion. That's why I'm here, because I heard that you guys were diverse and inclusive, and you have not shown me that. Show me that you're diverse and you're inclusive. For WICB News, I'm Christopher Morales. Latino Heritage Month kicked off here in Ithaca with a celebration of Latino culture in downtown Ithaca. WICB correspondents Elena Peach and Madison Fernandez were there and bring us more on Cultura Ithaca. This past Friday marked the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, a celebration that lasts until October 15th. To celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, Cultura Ithaca hosted the Ithaca Has Latin Roots kickoff party on Friday at Lot 10. For those who haven't heard, Cultura Ithaca is a program that has existed in Ithaca for over a decade that um, shares and fosters Latina and Latino Latinx community through low-cost and free arts and education programs throughout um, in the city of Ithaca. That was Carolina Hill. She is the executive director of Cultura Ithaca and engagement coordinator at Cornell University's Latino-Latina Studies program. Cultura Ithaca is sponsored by the Tompkins County Latino Civic Association. The event featured performances and presentations given in both Spanish and English. Gracias por organizar este evento y gracias a todas las personas. Thank you to all the people who have worked so hard to put together the program for the entire month, especially 
Carolina herself and Enrique González Conti. Around 60 people stopped by Lot 10 throughout the night. Joe Cruz is a junior at Ithaca College and the Outreach and Development Coordinator for Cultura Ithaca. As a Mexican-American, Cruz says he enjoys promoting an event for marginalized and minority groups in Ithaca. And the demographics, it was really great to see different members of the community, um, whether they were representing indigenous communities, first peoples of the Cayuga Nation, um, different Latinos in the area. The, a big focus of the night was the different nuance within the generic umbrella of Latino and Hispanic. Um, so seeing Dominicans, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, um, it was just a beautiful way to, I think, kick off um, Latino Heritage Month. Although the event was a celebration, the environment seemed a little bit different in comparison to previous kickoffs hosted by Cultura Ithaca. Deborah Castillo is the director of the Latino Latina Studies program at Cornell University. And as she puts it, Well, I think for a lot of Latinos and Latinos, not just in our community, but nationally, the Obama, uh, the end of the Obama presidency and the beginning of Trump has been a huge wake up call and not in a good way. Trump is much more overt in his racism and um, Trump is overt in his racism. Let's just say it that way. But for Latinas and Latinos, many of them are living with a great deal of stress and anxiety and fear. Uh, because they have been made to feel even more vulnerable, especially in the last week or two since the rescission of DACA. For those who need a little bit of background information, DACA, which stands for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is an immigration policy which allows for those who entered the country as undocumented children to obtain a deferred action from deportation, and they can be eligible for a work permit. DACA was implemented in 2012 by former President Barack Obama, But Donald Trump issued an executive order to end the program in early September of this year. As someone who originally came to the United States as an undocumented person from Colombia, Gil, the executive director of Cultura Ithaca, says... Um, I have an office at the Latina Latino Studies Program, LSP, at Cornell, and I daily see students. There are students at an organization at Cornell that's called the Dream Team um, who are doing a lot of advocacy work for DACA recipients and those families and individuals affected by DACA. No Dreamers who spoke at the event were willing to speak to WICB News. Even Castillo, who works closely with Latino and Latina students, says she did not want to provide an estimate for how many students at Cornell she thinks are impacted by DACA. She says the administration at Cornell is asking what they can do to assist her department. I am um, gratified that the dean of my college came to me and said, I know that, that your program is under particular stress. What do you need from me? And that that struck me as something that was a very important uh, uh, statement from her to say that she knew that there was an extraordinary moment and that the dean needed to put the dean as the dean of the college also needed to put extra resources and support in um, in our direction to um, help provide a, a better network of support for our students. In terms of finding assistance for those affected by DACA, Castillo stresses the importance of having Ithacans come together. Well, I think one of the most important pieces of advice was one that uh, we all heard last spring when one of our community members was picked up by ICE. And you may remember that incident. We are a small community, and we should take advantage of the fact that we are a small community and support each other. If I were to see something, it would be my job to be proactive, 
not to wait, not to react, not to worry if, oh, maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun, but to be proactive and make sure that our neighbors and our friends and our community is safe. For future Cultura events in Ithaca, Cruz hopes a greater emphasis will be placed on reaching out and celebrating the accomplishments of diverse student audiences at Ithaca College, Cornell University, and Tompkins Cortland Community College. And one one big thing that we're asking for um, as a part of the film component of the whole month is we're having a student competition that actually opened its deadline until October and it's called Cine al Instante, which means like short film in a way. And those are primarily we would like to highlight student filmmakers, uh, independent filmmakers dealing with um, any topic um, as far it can be fiction, nonfiction, anything having to do with Latinidad, uh, the Hispanic community, what it's like to be um, maybe highlighting intersectionality within the Hispanic community. More information about Cultura Ithaca can be found on their Facebook page. For contributing reporter Madison Fernandez, I'm Alana Peach, WICB News. We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear how the mining company Cargill is creating controversy in the Ithaca area. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. It's easier than ever to recycle in Tompkins County. Whether using your curbside bin or the Recycling and Solid Waste Center, you can mix cans, glass, plastic bottles, paper, and cardboard together. Most electronics, appliances, and large, rigid plastics can be dropped off at the Recycling Center. Plus, our food scrap drop spots in Ithaca, Lansing, Dryden, and Trumansburg accept meat, bones and dairy, paper cups, plates, and napkins. Learn more at RecycleTompkins.org. A message from the Tompkins County Solid Waste Division. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Will Carlson. The mining company Cargill wants to expand their salt mine in Lansing, but environmentalists are raising a number of concerns. WICB correspondent Amanda Chin gives us the details. Fourteen feet wide, 2,500 feet deep, 13,000 acres and $42 million. Those are all of the components of a mine shaft that was just issued a permit by the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, or DEC, to be built in Lansing. What's the problem with this mine shaft? Well, many people are in opposition to this project, especially since the whole facility lies underneath Cayuga Lake, one of the deepest lakes in North America. One of those opposed to this project is Walter Hang, an environmentalist and president of Toxics Targeting, a database service that obtains environmental data from local, state, and federal sources. So if the Cayuga mine collapsed under Cayuga Lake, it would make the lake polluted. And that's where 30,000 people get their drinking water. So they didn't understand in the beginning when they were mining under the lake the threat to water quality. Now, what is this mine shaft exactly? Walter says the mine is used to extract salt underneath Cayuga Lake using mechanical equipment, which can be used to melt ice and snow. So the problem with the existing mine is that it's now so huge that they're in danger of not being able to allow the miners to escape in case of an accident within one hour. So they need additional egress, and that's what this proposed Shaft 4 is all about. And it would also provide improved ventilation. One thing's for sure. Walter definitely does not want the mine shaft being built underneath Cayuga Lake. But he would be okay with having it built on dry land. So we want to switch the mining away from underneath the lake 
to under dry land. This is the perfect time to do it because, you know, without this shaft four, which would cost an enormous amount of money to build, then they can't mine under the lake. Then they can mine under dry land. It's no problem. Just, you know, a little further under dry land, and then you take away the threat to the lake. And it turns out that the Department of Environmental Conservation actually told that Cargill, Cargill that they should begin to explore this option with landowners. So it's a perfect timing. We reached out to the state DEC for an interview, and they replied to us with a statement. They said they reviewed all of the opposition's concerns and determined that the new salt mine will not have significant adverse environmental impact. However, the DEC said that their permit will not allow Cargill to build under the lake, at least for now. Mike Siegler, a Tompkins County legislator, is all for this mine shaft being built. So I want you to imagine if you're uh, underground and you're seven miles from where you actually came down, you literally need to shove air from the surface seven miles underground to where your people are. It's very uh, energy intensive to do that. Whereas if you're going to pop the mine shaft, you know, six miles closer to where you're actually doing the work, well, think about it. Then, yeah, you only have to bring in air from that distance a mile. You only have to shove it. Siegler says he had some issues with the environmentalist opposition. That leaves us with some folks who don't want to believe the DEC, who think the DEC somehow maybe has been corrupted. And I'm sorry, I frankly don't believe that the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation has any kind of nefarious attempt that would somehow threaten Lake Cayuga. Walter says, to Assemblywoman Barbara Lifton's credit, he has seen a lot of support for the shaft to be built elsewhere. So I think we finally have gotten now a very, very focused citizen effort. So we have a coalition letter, and it has almost, you know, 400 or 500 signatories. But then um, some very prominent people have joined this effort. And so for the first time, we've really begun to crank up the pressure on the governor. Although he says it's almost impossible to win big environmental victories, he is hopeful and optimistic. And so what we're showing with our campaigns is you can be effective. You can stop shell fracking. We're the only state that stops shell fracking as it's spread from coast to coast because of the political action that we took, because of the research, because of the coalition building. And that's why we're hopeful that we'll be able to replicate that victory on Cargill and cleaning up the lake. After all, Walter may end up victorious with this one. The DEC was pretty vague about whether or not Cargill could build a shaft under the lake. However, this past Wednesday, the Common Council passed a resolution requiring a new environmental review before Cargill can build this mine. It's clear to me that, apparently, if you like the science, then you're going to agree with it if you're on Common Council. But if somehow that science runs counter to what you believe, then you're going to deny that science. But we won't know the result of this development until next month's Common Council meeting. For WICB News, I'm Amanda Chin. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear about Ithaca College's new president, Dr. Shirley Collado. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. Want to hear more female artists on the Station for Innovation? Tune in to Eve Out Loud to hear a variety of female-fronted music. Sunday nights at 8 on 92 WICB. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. Ithaca College welcomed Dr. Shirley Collado as its ninth president earlier this semester. WICB correspondent Benjamin Laufer introduces us to the new face of the college. No confidence! No confidence! No confidence! 
This year, Ithaca College has a new president, Dr. Shirley Collado, an educator with a psychology background. But the path to her presidency of Ithaca College is complicated. For eight years, the president of Ithaca College was Thomas Roshan. In 2015, students of color on campus led a series of protests calling for his resignation. We want Tom Roshan to resign or be removed from his position. The campus felt he did not properly address some problematic comments of a prominent Ithaca graduate, a racially insensitive fraternity party, and racial aggressions from public safety. We want a radical, transformative change in governance and structure at Ithaca College. Then, late in the fall of 2015, 72% of the student body and 78% of faculty voted no confidence in then-President Roshan. Tom Roshan resigned two years later, and now Shirley Collado is beginning her tenure as Ithaca College's ninth president and first president of color. And since then, since I've arrived, a major takeaway has been just how ready people feel to shift, uh, to be engaged, to get to know me deeply, uh, to want to really revitalize this place. One main thing Shirley Collado wants to make clear is that she's focusing on transparency. So on August 29th, she held a meeting with student media outlets at Ithaca College. thought that today could be a really good opportunity for us to all talk, but also just kind of talking generally around norms of what do we want to do in terms of our work together? How do we want to work together? The first thing Shirley touched on was the idea of shared governance. She talked about the importance of including voices of the campus community and the student government in shaping the initiatives of the college. How can there be a shift and an affirmation around the things that we're trying to do, that I'm trying to do, which is build community here? And um, accessibility, being accessible, um, and having real conversations and, um, and collaborating as much as we can with different groups on campus. Shirley says that she is working to create an inclusive campus where community members can come forward with their ideas, concerns, and comments. She is already holding a variety of events across campus, from lunches to coffee, in order to listen. But she also sees Ithaca College extending beyond the campus itself. One of the things that I am definitely thinking about is um, how we can be more heavily involved with the local school uh, district. I'm really curious about the kind of mark and connection that Ithaca College could have and should have um, with youth who are right here. And I don't mean service learning, volunteering. I'm talking about future scholars and students who should be very much a part of this institution. The main thing Collado hit on was bringing community together. She wants to create a healthy environment for Ithaca College students and for young students in Tompkins County. Additionally, Collado says she wants students on and off campus to be better neighbors. We do have members in our community who want our students to be better neighbors. I, I want a good relationship. I want a good partnership. And our students leave a mark, a significant mark in this area. Collado's work is only beginning, but students like senior Yana Masurkovich are optimistic about the future. I just, I'm just like you know, excited to see what she's going to do. She's already been doing so many cool things. For more information on President Collado and what brought her here, you can listen to our piece on her from this past May on WICB.org. For WICB News, I'm Benjamin Laufer. Thank you to Ithaca College's newspaper, The Ithacan, for contributing audio. In the first few weeks of her presidency, Dr. Shirley Collado has been highly involved in local affairs, and she was present last Wednesday when Mayor Svante Myrick, Ithaca City School District Superintendent Dr. DeVell Brown, and Ithaca College's Dr. Sean Eversley Bradwell had a conversation about Ithaca's response to Charlottesville. Let's turn to Mayor Svante Myrick. Thank you for, for letting me be here. 
Thank you, Dr. Brown, for sharing that because it uh, just blows me away. Blows me away. And it's important for us to, as your parents never thought that we would be back here. Um, I think it's important to realize that Charlottesville one year ago not think that they would become synonymous with uh, hate, anti-Semitism, racism, and conflict. Charlottesville, has anybody been to Charlottesville? It is a beautiful and pleasant college town in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, but more or less the same. It, you, if I put you in downtown Charlottesville right now, you might think you were an enemy. So it's important that we talk about this because this could happen. I don't mean in a philosophical way. Mm -hmm. I don't mean in a, oh, this could have been us. I mean, this might happen here. Berkeley, a community that is so progressive, so far to the left, full of socialists, pinko, commie sympathizers, because <laughs> we say in Ithaca, moderates. Right? <laughs> <laughs> dealing with um, armed violent conflict in the street over whether or not people have the right to uh, hate speech. So it's important that we talk about this now. It's important that we talk about it before, uh, as in Charlottesville, a whole bunch of folks from outside of the community attempt to come here looking to um, start trouble and make a scene, a scene that will advance the cause. And let's talk about that cause, because for the last couple weeks, I keep hearing people say on television and in the street, well, we need to put politics aside. Politics aside, we should condemn this Klan march. Uh, a Klan march is about politics. Mm. It's not politics aside. The Klan was created to intimidate people from voting, to intimidate people away from running for office, and to put back in place policies to get brown people oppressed. It wasn't a cultural statement that had nothing to do with politics. It's all about politics. And the fact that we have for the first time uh, in my lifetime, members of the Klan marching without hoods on is about politics too. It is because President Trump was elected in November. Period. The fact that they feel comfortable, now they didn't become racist because Donald Trump was elected. Right? What happened is Donald Trump ran a campaign that was most explicitly racist of any, in, certainly in modern American history, maybe in American history, right? Now, people have run implicitly racist campaigns before, just about every four years, somebody does this. <laughs> but nobody ever explicitly said, well, a Mexican judge can't be a fair judge. Right? And he wasn't a Mexican. Nobody's ever said that a Mexican-American judge was a Mexican judge, first mm -hmm. of all. And then said that because of their ethnicity, they can't be uh, uh, fair, right? That is, a racist statement, and, and, and sorry to throw the word racist around so much. That is a statement that implies somebody's ethnicity determines their character. If you believe that somebody's ethnicity determines their character, then you are a racist. And he said this not like it wasn't picked up at a fundraiser with a secret microphone that nobody knew was there. He like said it into the camera over and over again, the camera that he knew was on. Uh, he won. So these members of the Klan of the United Red Rally were given courage, courage to walk publicly and openly. But this wasn't a celebration. 
of his victory. What this was is the continuation of a feedback that happens in politics all the time, whether it's virtuous or vicious. I will tell activists that I agree with, activists who want more bike lanes, who want better sidewalks, I will say, you need to make me do what you want me to do. Cause a scene, come to a city council meeting. Speak for two hours about why it's important that we have more sidewalks. Give me courage to enact the agenda that you want. So these folks marched without hoods on, over torches that said, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. Blood and soil. They were trying to give the administration, they weren't celebrating, they were giving them the courage they needed to enact an agenda prioritizes some people based on their ethnicity. Today, they've repealed the, uh, the DACA. This is the most explicitly racist decision uh, I've seen in my life. Why do I say it's explicitly racist? It will deport 800,000 people. 800,000 people with an average age of 24 years old who have, between them, 800,000 people, zero criminal convictions. It will cost the U.S. $40 billion of GDP a year. 800,000 people, and not a single one of them, is eligible for anything that we would consider welfare. From food stamps to unemployment to social security insurance. So this was not about getting drains on the system, the sort of implicitly racist things the presidents used to say. It's not about getting a drain out of the system, out of this country. It's not about getting people who are uh, um, uh, what did Paul Ryan call them? Moochers. People want to make This was about, this was not even about language. Most of these people came here at the average age of five years old. They're an American in everywhere they go. Uh, this is about nothing more than satisfying the people who marched with no ones and trying to give them more courage so they can come back out into the streets, so they can intimidate more like So. Um, and maybe it takes a, a politician to think, this is about politics. <laughs> uh, but I want you to not forget that these are connected, that the way we vote is a part of our culture. Uh, some of us are too used to saying, well, we need to wage a cultural battle for the hearts and minds. We need to divorce this from the voting. This isn't about politics. It's all about We'll be back with more from these leaders and with more from Svante's sentiment that everything about Charlottesville is related to politics. This is Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. Uh, Dave, what are you doing? Texting Emily. Look, look, she just sent me a winky face. But you're driving. Yeah, yeah, it's just a quick text, don't worry. I'm a good multitasker. Yeah, well, if you want to live long enough to see her in person, you better put down the phone. Protect your friends, protect yourself. If you see someone texting and driving, speak up and tell them to stop. This message brought to you by WICB and the Ithaca Police Department, encouraging you to drive safely. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, Mayor Svante Myrick, the ICSD superintendent, and an Ithaca College professor led a discussion on race issues on Ithaca College's campus two weeks ago. To close out our show, we'll hear more from Svante Myrick and from Dr. Lavelle Brown. 
As I sat there trying to talk to family and friends to make sense of the summer, I had a difficulty in trying to wrap my thoughts around it. So I want to give it up to you. Are there any other takeaways that you have from the summer that would be important for the audience to think about? Any other ways you've been thinking about what we can learn from the event this summer that may be important for the audience? Maybe we start here and go here. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the, the one thing is that we, each of us, has to decide uh, how we will act. You know, the city that means uh, starting a conversation in the city of Ithaca, I mean, the 500 employees that make it up. Um, what would we do if a rally like this were to come to? How would we make sure that everybody stayed safe? How would we protect everybody's right to free speech? Um, and how would we do that without giving a platform to uh, those who would preach hatred and bigotry? And just to worry about bigotry, by the way, uh, there's a very clever uh, political argument circulating that uh, to be against bigotry means to accept every political viewpoint is valid. Right? To say, oh, you say that you don't like bigotry, and yet you don't, you boo people when they say racist stuff. You should be open-minded to racist stuff. Uh, there's a difference between bigotry and discernment. A bigot hates somebody because of what they see. They see somebody who looks different, and they make assumptions about what they're capable of, what their values are, and what they're Somebody with discernment will listen to what somebody says out of their mouth and then make a judgment about their values, their capabilities, and their attitudes. So it is not, I just want to say this, and I'm not uh, advocating violence because I actually think it's counterproductive, but I don't think silence, while other people preach hatred, is tolerance. Mm. Uh, I think it is a application of your responsibility. So we as a community have to decide what are we going to do when these folks show up. For us in the city, that means making sure we have our logistics ready. Plans for, what if they apply for a permit on the commons? What if they apply for a permit in Stuart Park? How will we keep them safe? How will we keep the community safe? And for the thousands of people who might come into our community for an event like this, either to demonstrate with uh, the, the uh, clan or to demonstrate against it, how will we keep them safe? Um, you should do the same exercise. And I mean that quite seriously, not, oh, would I be for them or would I be against them? I mean, where would your family be the day of the rally? Will you stay in town or will you, will you be a counter-demonstrator or will you stay at home? Uh, if you choose to counter-demonstrate, uh, how do you plan to participate? Because if you wait <clears throat> to make that plan, uh, you may make that plan when you are feeling angry, when you are feeling uh, afraid, when you are feeling frustrated. And that is not a mindset that you should plan. You plan um, as much as you can uh, while your emotions are low or close to the baseline. If you do that, you'd be doing the entire community a service so that, um, and you'd be helping the city, its police department, its fire department, its department of public works help keep everybody safe. And again, y'all catch me raw tonight, but um, I, some of the things you shared, um, I couldn't disagree with more. Mm -hmm. I, I guess that's why you put us on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about this thing, it's all about politics. I think it's, that's going to happen in time. It's practically about education, mm -hmm. not as the educator. I know. But it's also about <laughs> inclusive environments. And as you talk about the hate and how it's political hate in some ways, I hate is hate, bro. 
Uh, and I will share examples about the Southern Baptist black church I've grown up in and the type of hate that exists there. See, my first experience with hate was when I was eight in that pew, and my twin brother and I saw a white couple walk in. And we watched how friends of ours looked at them and how they should be there. And we took that on too, and we made fun of them, and we didn't want to do it because they looked different, they believed different, they prayed different. And then I told my mom and dad, they checked us on it. Did we think any way, any other way? But I also know that my mom's best friend disagreed with her. And as I was talking to my mom just the other day about that same African Baptist church, we won't look it up. The same conversations that happen today are about different complexions of people within the church community and how they disagree with one another. And who has how much money in their pocket, and how, you know, she lived in a brick house and we live in a wooden one. They different. So they all deal with black folks. So we can understand and come to common mental models around inclusiveness in our own communities, in our own cultures. How can we talk about different cultures? See, this thing is about a dominant culture right now. And yes, this middle class white male dominated culture that we're trying to all assimilate to in some way or another. But there are different microcultures. And we figured, let's talk about that first. So, right now in our school district, we're putting young people from different cultures on the same athletic teams together. Folks ask me every day, whatever happened to the race class that were happening in your school district every day or every year? Well, those kids are on the same team now. Quite frankly, they had to block each other at Saturday's Orange Period on last weekend. Yeah. That's creating different conversations. That has nothing to do about who you voted for or not. And I know some of those families voted for Trump and some of them voted for President Obama. But yes, but for this same system that you're talking about being broken in some ways is the one that created the first African-American president, something my mom and dad said never happened. So I can't sit here and say that everything is broken and it's all bad. Because um, the things he was speaking to resonated with me when I have some of my best friends had a visceral reaction to him. So okay, it's political in some way, but there are some conflicts we need to have first before we get there, from my perspective. Yeah, there's racism within the black community. There's racism within the black The way to combat, the most effective way to combat that racism is starting young. And uh, not just integrating young people, but giving them a super working goal. Athletics is a good example. The arts are the same. It's not just putting people in the same room. It's putting them in the same room and giving them the same goals so they can begin working side by side and see their common This is, I think that's definitely the way to, to combat this. Um, and 63 million people voted for uh, Donald Trump. You know, I mean, almost as many people as voted for Hillary Clinton. More people voted for, more people voted for Obama, too. So it's not like the entire country, and it's not like 63 million people voted for Donald Trump because they are racist. But that rally was called Unite the Right. It was a political rally. It wasn't like Unite the Racist. It was Unite the Right Wing. It had a political agenda in its heart because it wanted policy goals achieved, like DACA ended, like a wall built, like Muslims banned from coming into our country. These are, these are political conversations uh, that, are, that are happening right now. And they were trying to build support for those conversations. And we shouldn't ignore, we shouldn't ignore that, and that we shouldn't allow that to go unanswered. That's all we have for you for this edition of Ithaca Now. 
You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes Podcast Store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, our station manager, Alex Bredekin, News Director, Peter Champelli, The Ithacan for Contributed Audio, and our correspondents, Kyle Arnold, Sarah Horbakowitz, Christopher Morales, Elena Peach, Madison Fernandez, Amanda Chin, and Benjamin Laufer. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful week. I'm Will Carlson, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.